Turn your Bibles, please, to John chapter 1. It's a joy to be with you again tonight, just to sing with you, hear your testimonies. And we prayed for you this morning at New Boston Baptist Church, and uh, trust that our Lord is working his plan for us. Very grateful for that. Uh, let's look at the first 18 verses tonight of the Gospel of John. John chapter 1. Uh, you follow along while I read here. It says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bare witness of him, and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness have we all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. What a passage, huh? Praise the Lord for the word. All right, let's ask God's blessing on our time in it together. Father, we thank you so much again for uh, the word as we have sung already tonight. Lord, we thank you for the Bible. We thank you for uh, how it reveals to us your son. And we thank you for him and who he is. Lord, uh, we're mindful to pray as asked for this funeral tonight that uh, Wetzel's will be attending. Lord, we pray that you would uh, open hearts to the gospel and Lord to uh, remind us all, especially those in attendance of our mortality and of the vapor-like quality of our days uh, to number them that we might apply our hearts to wisdom, especially uh, the wisdom of our need for salvation in Christ. We pray for Paul and his wife that they would have opportunities to speak of this great salvation to someone in need, that you would bless their time there. Again, Lord, thank you for this passage. Its glories are uh, inestimable and indescribable, especially for this poor lisping, stammering tongue. 
And Lord, we pray that in spite of that truth, you would still bless this to our hearts tonight, that we might appreciate more fully that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and he's the Word who became flesh, and therefore we must believe on his name and have life in his name. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as you interpret the Gospel of John, um, you have kind of an advantage because John, unlike many other books of the Bible, comes out and actually tells us what his purpose is in writing his Gospel. Uh, we find that in chapter 20, verse 31, if you want to turn there quickly with me. John chapter 20 and verse 31, John tells us exactly why he wrote. And he says, but these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. And so as we read the Gospel of John together, that should be our goal, that we would believe that Jesus is the Christ. Messiah, that he is the Son of God, and that believing we might have life through his name. If you find yourself uh, rejoicing that you have life in the name of Christ, and that you have faith to believe that he is Jesus and the Son of God, um, praise the Lord for that work of God in your life. This is why John wrote. Uh, all of these chapters and all of these verses. And so this should be our goal as we open the book of John together this evening. I began preaching from the Gospel of John uh, in January, actually, of this year, and I've been preaching some of the major themes of the Gospel. I believe last time I was here, last month, I spoke on what John says about the world, and we spent some time on that. Uh, that's one of the unique emphases of this gospel, which uh, we find uh, throughout its pages. Uh, and it turns out that in the 18 verses that we've just read here together this evening, all of those emphases can be found. Uh, I found 10 of them as I studied the gospel, and I did 10 messages on those 10 emphases. And all of those are found in these verses. Um, the emphasis of truth is very big in the Gospel of John. You see that in verse 14. Uh, and also witness. You see that in verse 7. The theme of light is big in the Gospel of John and also in this passage in verses 4, 5, 7, 8, and 9. And glory as well in verse 14. Eternal life is emphasized by the Gospel of John. You see that in verses 3 and 4, as well as saving belief. And we see that in verse 13, that we must believe. Uh, God the Father is a big emphasis in the Gospel of John. He appears in this passage too, doesn't he? In verse 14, as does God the Holy Spirit, if we remember that when we read the Word became flesh, it was the Holy Spirit who accomplished that. And the Holy Spirit is a major emphasis in the Gospel of John. 
love for one another is another unique emphasis in the Gospel of John, this new commandment that Christ has given to us. And though I didn't quite find love for one another in these first 18 verses, um, I would direct your attention to this amazing phrase in verse 18 in this regard, where it says, the only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. The Son in the bosom of the Father. What does that look like? My uh, brother-in-law was ministering in the Philippines this past week, and he was going to circle back on his way home to North Carolina, because I guess it's right on the way to Guam, where he was going to see his grandson for the very first time. Uh, His daughter uh, and son-in-law live on Guam and serve the Lord there. And he sent some pictures back. And Tim is laying back on a uh, an easy chair, and he looks real comfortable. And he's got his his son, his grandson sitting right on his chest, you know, right here. He's just kind of enjoying, you know, making him laugh and that kind of thing. Um, I've got pictures of, you know, my son and sons-in-law uh, holding their kids in their bosom, and. You know, I think the closest thing we can get to this is is really a hug, if I can say that reverently. That the Son is in the bosom of the Father. And we are to love one another. Because God is love. The Trinity, the persons of the Trinity love one another dearly. And um, God wants that for us as well. And then we have the rejection of the world, and that's the passage I think we were in last time in verses 9, 10, and 11 here, but that's an emphasis throughout the Gospel of John as well. So to preach on these first 18 verses uh, could turn into a message that's 10 messages long, right? (laughs) Uh, The mine of truth that is here is truly endless. And there are many ways to kind of survey what it says here tonight. I'm going to pick one and try to explain it to you here. I'm going to focus on a Greek verb that occurs throughout this passage. It's the verb ginomai. And this is a word that means to become or come to be something. Okay. Uh, In our passage in particular, ginomai Uh, to become something, uh, or to come to be, actually refers to five supernatural miracles that we find in these first 18 verses. Uh, These are things that came into existence supernaturally. And I'll just tell you what they are here. Number one, all things supernaturally come to be in verse three. We find the verb ginomai there. Secondly, John the Baptist supernaturally comes to be a witness in verses 4 through 11. We find uh, the verb ginomai referring to him. Number three, believers supernaturally come to be children of God. We see that in verses 12 and 13. Number four, miracle number four, the word supernaturally comes comes to be human human flesh in verse 14. 
And number five, grace and truth supernaturally come to be through Jesus Christ in verses 15 through 18. So we're going to outline the passage with the help of that verb that recurs throughout. So as we read about the way these things came to be, they challenge us to believe that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Son of God. And that believing, we might have life in his name. He is the Christ, the Son of God, because he is the Word who became flesh. Before we look at those five miracles of becoming, if I can call them that, uh, John begins with one about whom it may never be said that he ever came to be. And he does that in verses 1 and 2. So our first point tonight is that the Word never came to be who he is. We don't read the word ginomai in these two verses. Look at them with me. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And so the Word never came came to be who he is, he was in the beginning. In 2006, atheist Richard Dawkins published a book that he titled The God Delusion. It has been translated into 35 different languages. In the year that it was published, it ranked number two on the Amazon.com bestseller list. And uh, if uh, Google is correct, as of 2020, 3.3 million copies had sold of this book. I remember dealing with a young man in our congregation uh, years ago, uh, sometime after 2006 it was, probably around 2009 or 10, who had read that book and decided that uh, all that he had believed about the Word of God and about the God of Heaven was not true after all. And he lost his faith. He was a member of our church. And we you know, tried to use discipline to help him, but eventually we had to uh, rescind his membership because he no longer wanted to be a member. But more importantly, he no longer believed what our members believe and must believe. And so uh, that was a very sad outcome of his reading this book, The God Delusion, he later recanted his atheism, by the way, and uh, he uh, embraced Christ again. I think he probably was truly saved through all of that. Now, the central premise of Dawkins' book claimed that if we believe that God created the universe, we must also ask, who created God? That was kind of like his main point. Dawkins was ably answered by one of his Oxford colleagues, the mathematician Dr. John Lennox, who wrote this about Dawkins' assertion, who created God then? He said, quote, who made God? The very asking of it shows that the questioner has a created God in mind. It is then scarcely surprising that one calls one's book the God Delusion. For that is precisely what a created God is, a delusion, virtually by definition. A more informative title might have been The Created God Delusion. The book could then have been reduced to a pamphlet, but sales might not have or might have suffered. End quote. 
I thought he put that very well. Five things come into existence supernaturally in our passage, but the word is not one of them. Our text tells us, in the beginning was. That's the imperfect tense, by the way, very literally. In the beginning was being the word already. The phrase echoes the very words, the very first words of the Bible in Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God. Time itself had a beginning. And God is the one who began it. The word was existing when time was created. He was existing with God and he was God. In other words, the word is the second person of the Trinity, the son of God who is in the bosom of the father. As we have already mentioned, the word is the uncreated God, the second person of the eternal Trinity. And so we shake our heads at Richard Dawkins and his created God, don't we? But that created God delusion is not a problem that only atheists suffer from, right? We all have in our nature this tendency to create our own God. It is the delusion of every one of us. Uh, when we decide for ourselves what our God is going to be like and what he is allowed to require of us, Creating your own view of God has a name, an ancient name. It's called idolatry. The word never became who he is, nor does he change. And men follow delusion when they try to make him what he is not. So that he can be something more that they like. And let's not get into that delusion. All right, so the word never came to be who he is. Now we'll go to the five things that did supernaturally come to be in this passage, which tell us that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing we can have life through his name. First, of course, is in verse 3, and it sums up a lot of them. <laughs> All things supernaturally came to be what they are. And here the word ginomai is translated with the words were made. So we could translate the verse, all things came to be by him. And, not, and without him uh, did not anything come to be that has come to be. All things were made by him. All things came to be what they are, supernaturally so. On our website, I've posted a video presentation I found uh, on a hummingbird. And when you think about the wonder, the creation of a hummingbird, what, what's the first thing you think of? To me, it's the flight ability, right? Uh, maybe the color. Yeah, backwards, hover, and how fast those wings go and how much energy they burn to make the wings go that fast. And just the, the engineering feat you know, Paul, maybe you could explain this to me as an engineer, how to make a hummingbird, <laughs> you know, but can can float and, oh, who's the engineer? Okay, there he is. Um, but it's an amazing creation. We can't make aircraft like that, can we? To do what it does. But that's not what the video is about. The video is actually about the tongue of a hummingbird. 
I don't know if you've seen it. Maybe I see some nodding going on. Maybe you've seen this. If not, you can go to the resources page of our website and look at it. But the tongue of a hummingbird is amazing. It, it's, it sticks out of its beak. It's kind of a long thing, but it has two sections. And as it comes out of the beak, it opens up this way. And each section is aligned all the way up and down with clasps. And the clasps open up as the tongue goes out and the sections separate. So the clasps open up too. And it goes right into the nectar of the plant. And then as that tongue comes back into the mouth of the hummingbird, all those clasps close in on the nectar and scoop it up and bring it in. And that is an amazing engineering design, isn't it? And so, verse 3 is about the hummingbird's tongue and everything else. All things refers to, according to Westcott, all things taken severally and not regarded as a divine whole, the vast multiplicity of created things, end quote. The hummingbird's tongue, his wings, the beautiful colors. I'm driving to church tonight and the leaves are starting to turn, right? And you think of all the different kinds of leaves that are out there, oak leaves and maple leaves and birch and beech and I pretty much exhausted my knowledge of leaves, <laughs> maybe with those four, but uh, the, the countless kinds of leaves, and now they're all turning color, and all these different shades of color. Makes me think of that wonderful second verse in the hymn, I am his and he is mine. Heaven above is a softer blue, and earth around is a sweeter green. Something lives in every hue that Christless eyes have never seen. Birds with gladder songs o'erflow the audible beauty of God's creation. Um, flowers with deeper beauty shine, right? Since I know is now I know, I am his and he is mine. All these things were made by him. And without him, not one of these things came to be that has come to be. Our passage calls this amazing creator of everything who made every object of the study in every field of the arts and sciences. Calls him the word because that's how he did it. He spoke these things into existence. Creation account of Genesis records over and over, and God said, he spoke the word, and it was. He commanded, and it came into existence. It came to be. Hebrews 11, verse 3 says, Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. And so as you look at all of these things, you must believe that the Word made them, and that He is the Christ, the Son of God, so that believing you may have life in His name. 
We see what the tongue of the hummingbird is like, and through faith we understand that this wonderfully designed device did not evolve from other things that can be seen. It was framed by the command of the Word, God's Son. And so that's the first supernatural miracle. And that ought to convince us that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. The second one is John the Baptist. So John the Baptist supernaturally came to be a witness. Look at verses 4 through 11 with me again. In him, that is the word, was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. That's John the Baptist. The same came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. We'll stop there. John the Baptist supernaturally came to be a witness. We find this verb, ginamai, to come to be in verse 6. And it's just simply translated was. There supernaturally came to be a man sent from God. And his name was John. And for that reason, we must believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing have life in his name. First act of creation in Genesis 1 happened when God said, let there be light. The Jews of the days of Jesus and John the Baptist noted that light is mentioned five times in the creation account. And they said that, uh, they concluded from that, that God's light is therefore the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament, uh, their Torah, the law of Moses. Uh, so for the Jews, their religion based on the Jewish Torah was the life and light of men. And without the Torah, without Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, men were in darkness. But John's gospel tells us that the true life and light of men is not a religion, not even the religion we find in the first five books of the Old Testament, unless, of course, we find Christ there, as our brother has mentioned, and we do. For Jesus said, these are they which testify of me. And them you think you have life. But you need to find me there. And that's exactly what John is saying here. So instead of the Pentateuch, the life and light of men is a person. The word, the creator, the son of God. It's not a religion. It's not religious practice. It's a person. He is the light and life of men. As Paul told the men of Athens about their unknown God, as they called him, he giveth to all life and breath and all things in Acts 17.25. For in him we live and move and have our being, Acts 17.28. Do you and I tonight understand how dependent we are for our next breath? on the light and the life of men. Our text says that most do not. 
The word shines in darkness, which responds with hostility. In verse 5, our King James says, the darkness comprehended it not. The word comprehended is katalambano. Uh, it means to take down. And uh, you can take down notes and comprehend things. So that's a valid translation. But it's used elsewhere in John for a takedown, kind of like in wrestling or fighting. So that, uh, let me see if I have the reference. Yeah, in John 12, 35, I think Jesus says, um, uh, not to let the world overcome you and warns him of that, uses the same word. And so we can translate here, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it, but it responded with hostility against it. And so this world does not understand how they depend upon the light and life of men, this word who gives them life and breath in all things. So to shine that way for every man, the life and light of men had to come into this world, the place of darkness, according to verse 9. His own things, his creatures, received him not, in verses 10 and 11. Those who speak this rejection first inhale a breath of life that they get from him. To say no to their Lord. And in the middle of this truth about the shining of the light and life of the Son of God, we find John the Baptist sent by God to supernaturally come to be his witness, in verses 6 through 8. You may remember that Elizabeth, John's mother, was barren beyond childbearing years. But she bore a son as the angel told Zechariah, his father, she would. Remember, Zechariah was struck with dumbness. He couldn't speak because he didn't believe the angel's promise. That was miraculous, <laughs> supernatural. But ultimately, the child was named John, and the child came as God said he would, supernaturally. John came to be a witness. And God sent John as a witness to the life and light of, the, of his son, according to verse 7 so that all men might believe through him. All mankind, that, that's all of us here tonight. The angel went to tell Elizabeth that she, though barren and beyond childbearing years, was going to have a son who would be a witness to the word so that you and I might believe. John's miraculous witness is a witness to you and me this evening. The question is, do you believe him? That brings us to verses 12 and 13, uh, the third supernatural miracle that's listed here, uh, marked by the verb ginomai. We're going to save that one for, the last, for last, actually, and skip down to the, the fourth one as our third. In verse 14, we find that the Word supernaturally came to be human. And here the word ginomai is translated was made. It says, and the word supernaturally came to be flesh 
and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Brother mentioned how we can see Christ in the Old Testament, and we've been studying Exodus in our church and have been through the tabernacle and have found Christ there. And we've been through uh, the priestly garments and we found Christ there. And we're going through the ordination process of the high priest and his uh, priests, and we're finding Christ there. Uh, the tabernacle was called the tent of meeting because it was the place where Yahweh, the God of Israel, determined to dwell among his, among and meet with his people. And so they had the tabernacle. And you remember there was this cloud of the glory of God that met with his people over the tabernacle. And then the temple was built uh, years later. And Solomon prayed that great prayer and the temple was filled with the glory of God, right? Well, long after the tabernacle is off the scene and the temple has been destroyed, the prophets of Yahweh promised Israel that he would again tabernacle with his people. In Zechariah chapter 2, verse 14, we find such a promise. It says, Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for lo, I come. And I will dwell in the midst of thee, saith the Lord. In the Greek translation of the Old Testament, that word dwell is actually the verbal form of the noun tabernacle. The promise says, I will pitch a tent among you. I will build a tabernacle and dwell with you again. Zechariah was a post-exilic prophet, meaning that he ministered to Israel after Israel had been destroyed taken away to Babylon. Yes, they were returning and rebuilding a temple, which became Herod's temple, under uh, Nehemiah and Ezra. You may remember the elderly who had remembered Solomon's temple wept because they could remember the glory of the old temple, and now they saw this temple. And I think perhaps with mixed emotions, uh, they wept. Now, they celebrated a great feast of the Passover. There was much rejoicing. But you read through the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, and nowhere do you find that there was a return to the Shekinah glory that once dwelt in the tabernacle in the temple. The promise of Zechariah was not fulfilled there. The rebuilt temple lacked the glory of the former one, and most significantly, no Shekinah glory return to the temple in the days of Ezra and Nehemiah. The return of Yahweh's glory to Zion did not come by way of a cloud in the rebuilt temple. It came by way of a baby in a manger in Bethlehem. And that's what John is saying here. He uses that same verb when he says dwelt. In the Greek, that could be translated tabernacled. The word supernaturally came to be human flesh and tabernacled among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The Shekinah glory is back. And it's this baby in a feeding trough 
of a cow or a sheep in a barn. And shepherds knew about it, but the innkeeper didn't know. And that's why he sent them out to the barn in the first place. That's the glory. You know, one of the interesting features about John's emphasis on the glory of Jesus Christ is that he is the only gospel of the four that never mentions the transfiguration. Remember that uh, episode where the three disciples got to go to the mount and see Jesus transfigured before them and talk to Elijah and to Moses and they saw his glory. And Peter thought there should be some tabernacles, right? And he kind of messed up again. But uh, John never mentions that. And yet he emphasizes the glory of Jesus Christ, the word, more than any of the other gospels. And I think he sees that in everything Jesus did, he was God with us. He was the Shekinah glory, and it's shown from all that he did. As a hymn writer says, he emptied himself of all but love. A great Charles Wesley hymn, And Can It Be? He left his father's throne above, so free and infinite his grace. Emptied himself of all but love and bled for Adam's helpless race. His mercy all, immense and free. Oh my God, it found out me. That's what made it immense. It found out me. Praise him. Question is, has it found out you? And so the word supernaturally came to be human. The fourth miracle of becoming tonight is Grace and truth supernaturally come to be in verses 15 through 18. And we have this word ginomai in verse 17 where it's translated came. You could translate this way. Grace and truth supernaturally came to be by Jesus Christ. So here John returns to the witness of John the Baptist Verse 15 says, John, bear witness of him. And that's in the present tense, by the way. So as John is writing this gospel to those churches in Asia, he is telling them that John is bearing witness of him. John still speaks, in other words, though martyred many years ago. And tonight, John the Baptist is witnessing of him as we open our Bibles and read those words. This witness continues on today, and it tells us that grace and truth supernaturally came to be for us through Jesus Christ. Maureen and I were at an engagement party a few weeks ago. I guess there was one around here uh, today. And uh, for us, it was the Becker family um, out in the Charlestown area. I don't know if you know the Beckers, but their daughter, oldest daughter, is to be married in November. 
and they were showered with gifts. There's just a huge gift table, and so we had a wonderful time, and then at the end, they were opening their gifts, and you know, one gift just replaced another gift, and after another gift, you know, as they opened their gifts, and it took a while, you know, and I'm not, I've never been big on bridal showers myself, but uh, very thankful that they got so many gifts. Um, it seemed to be a very large gift table. You know, these verses, verses, uh, verses 15 through 18, speak of an amazing gift table. The opening of the gifts at that bridal shower was a picture of the point that we read in verse 16 in the phrase, grace for grace. It's like one gift after another. What we're reading about here is God's grace upon God's grace. And as the explanation points out in verse 17, it's really two gifts, but again, it's an infinite gift table with two infinite gifts on it, both gifts of God's grace. And as the next verse explains, the first gift was the law given by Moses, where again we find Jesus Christ, but in symbol and shadow, a great gift of grace. Jesus said to his contemporaries that in Moses, you think you have eternal life, but these are they which testify of me. If you find me there, you'll find life, Jesus said. That's the first gift of grace. But, then there's another one, and you notice the but in the King James in verse 17 is in italics. The translators are telling us there that it's not in the original, but they add it for clarity. There's not really a contrast here in verse 17. What we have in verse 17 is an explanation of the two graces, grace for grace. The first grace is the law, Jesus in symbol and shadow. The second grace is Jesus Christ incarnate. Jesus become man. You see, no man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him, not in symbol and shadow, but in substance and person and nature. He has explained him. He's, the word is exegete, actually. He's declared him. He's told us exactly what the Father is like. And this is what he is like. He is a gracious Father who gives infinite grace his own son and the law of Moses, which points us to him. But these gifts must be received by faith. And that brings us to our last uh, miracle of becoming, verses 12 and 13. Uh, Ginnemai appears in verse 12, where it's translated to become. You could translate this way, but as many as received him, to them he gave power to supernaturally come to be the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor the will of flesh, 
nor the will of man, but of God. These verses speak of a supernatural miracle that each of us must experience in order to become God's child. God's children are not born naturally into this world as God's children. And this is the point of verse 13. We're not born naturally. In fact, Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, that we are born naturally into this world as children of disobedience. And that we are by nature children of wrath. Part of that darkness of the passage that is hostile against God. That is our nature. And that's what comes natural. For us, sin is natural and nature cannot fix this. But God's supernatural promise certainly can. And that promise is so simple. As many as received him, them he gave the power, the right, the authority, the authorization to supernaturally come to be the children of God by nature, by supernature, <laughs> even to those that believe on his name. His name is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, because he is the eternal word, our creator, who became flesh to die for our sins and rise again. And the question is, will you believe on his name? You believe that this man from Nazareth is the Christ, your prophet, your priest, your king, your way, your truth, your life. Will you turn from your sinful unbelief and confess to him that he is the Son of God? The Apostle John did that. And having done that, John had to write a gospel. Something about the good news that would convince people to whom he was writing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, so that believing they might have life through his name. You see, to be born anew, be a child of God, have your sins forgiven in Christ, to know the wonder of the gospel and why the word came and who he really was, is to have to share it with somebody, to have to proclaim it to those who do not know. Have you told the Lord that you believe? Have you told your wife that you believe? I think I have some in my congregation who may believe, but they haven't told anybody. They kind of look at me when I'm preaching and they nod, but I know they haven't told their wife that they believe. Have you told your friends, your kids, your friends here at church? Have you been baptized? That was this morning's message, by the way, baptism. 
When somebody truly believes the gospel, he wants to share the good news. To whom much is given, of him shall much be required. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you so much for these amazing miracles which you performed so that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing we might have this amazing life through his name. Thank you, Lord, for the forgiveness of sins. Thank you that the word came. Thank you for his glory. So poorly uh, preached tonight, but so wondrously displayed in your word. We thank you, Father, that his glory is given to us. We might know him and serve him. And so, Lord, help us to share that as John did in his gospel, uh, that others might believe with us. We pray in Jesus' name.